Section 19 of Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piper Hayes. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 1, by Sir Walter Scott. Section 19, Chapter 14 a discovery waverley becomes domesticated at tully violon the next day edward arose betimes and in a morning walk around the house in its vicinity came suddenly upon a small court in front of the dog kennel where his friend davy was employed about his four-footed charge one quick glance of his eye recognized waverley when instantly turning his back as if he had not observed him he began to sing part of an old ballad. Young men will love thee more fair and more fast. Heard ye so merry the little bird sing? Old men's love the longest will last, and the throstlecock's head is under his wing. The young man's wrath is like light straw on fire. Heard ye so merry the little bird sing? But like red-hot steel is the old man's ire and the throstlecock's head is under his wing. The young men will brawl at the evening board. Heard ye so merry the little bird sing? But the old man will draw at the dawning the sword, and the throstlecock's head is under his wing. Waverley could not avoid observing that Davy laid something like a satirical emphasis on these lines. He therefore approached, and endeavoured by sundry queries, to elicit from him what the innuendo might mean. But Davy had no mind to explain, and had wit enough to make his folly cloak his knavery. Edward could collect nothing from him, excepting that the laird of Balmawapple had gone home yesterday morning with his boots full of blood. In the garden, however, he met the old butler, who no longer attempted to conceal that, having been bred in the nursery line with Sumac and Company of Newcastle, he sometimes wrought a turn in the flower-borders to oblige the laird and Miss Rose. By a series of queries, Edward at length discovered, with a painful feeling of surprise and shame, that Bommawapple's submission and apology had been the consequence of a rencontre with the baron before his guest had quitted his pillow, in which the younger combatant had been disarmed and wounded in the sword-arm. Greatly mortified at this information, Edward sought out his friendly host, and anxiously expostulated with him upon the injustice he had done him in anticipating his meeting with Mr. Falconer, a circumstance which, considering his youth and the profession of arms which he had just adopted, was capable of being represented much to his prejudice. The baron justified himself at greater length than I choose to repeat. He urged that the quarrel was common to them, and that Bommawapple could not, by the code of honour, avoid giving satisfaction to both, which he had done in his case by an honourable meeting, and in that of Edward by such a palinode as rendered the use of the sword unnecessary, and which, being made and accepted, must necessarily supply the whole affair. With this excuse or explanation, Waverley was silenced, if not satisfied, but he could not help testifying some displeasure against the blessed bear which had given rise to the quarrel, nor refrained from hinting that the sanctified epithet was hardly appropriate. 
the baron observed he could not deny that the bear though allowed by heralds as a most honourable ordinary had nevertheless somewhat fierce churlish and morose in his disposition as might be read in archibald simpson pastor of dalkeith hieroglyphica and amalium and had thus been the type of many quarrels and dissensions which had occurred in the house of bradwardine of which he continued i might commemorate mine own unfortunate dissension with my third cousin by my mother's side sir hugh halbert who was so unthinking as to deride my family name as if it had been quasi bear warden a most uncivil jest since it not only insinuated that the founder of our house occupied such a mean situation as to be a custodier of wild beasts a charge which he must have observed is only entrusted to the very basest plebeians but moreover seemed to infer that our coat-armour had not been achieved by honourable actions in war but bestowed by way of paranomasia or pun upon our family appellation a sort of bearing which the french call armoire parlanta the latins arma contantia and your english authorities canting heraldry footnote see note twelve being indeed a species of emblazoning more befitting canters gaberlunzies and such like mendicants whose gibberish is formed upon playing upon the word than the noble honourable and useful science of heraldry which assigns armorial bearings as the reward of noble and generous actions and not to tickle the ear with vain quadlibets such as are found in jest books of his quarrel with sir hugh he said nothing more than that it was settled in a fitting manner note twelve although canting heraldry is generally reprobated it seems nevertheless to have been adopted in the arms and mottoes of many honourable families thus the motto of the vernons vernon semper veret is a perfect pun and so is that of the onslows festina lente the purissimni purissim of the anstruthers is liable to a similar objection one of that ancient race finding that an antagonist with whom he had fixed a friendly meeting was determined to take the opportunity of assassinating him prevented the hazard by dashing out his brains with a battle-axe two sturdy arms brandishing such a weapon formed the usual crest of the family with the above motto purissim ni purissim i had died unless i had gone through with it having been so minute with respect to the diversions of tulliviolan on the first days of edward's arrival for the purpose of introducing its inmates to the reader's acquaintance it becomes less necessary to trace the progress of his intercourse with the same accuracy it is probable that a young man accustomed to more cheerful society would have tired of the conversation of so violent an asserter of the boast of heraldry as the baron but edward found an agreeable variety in that of miss bradwardine who listened with eagerness to his remarks upon literature and showed great justness of taste in her answers the sweetness of her disposition had made her submit with complacency and even pleasure to the course of reading prescribed by her father although it not only comprehended several heavy folios of history but certain gigantic tomes in high church polemics in heraldry he was fortunately contented to give her only such a slight tincture 
as might be acquired by perusal of the two folio volumes of nisbet rose was indeed the very apple of her father's eye her constant liveliness her attention to all those little observances most gratifying to those who would never think of exacting them her beauty in which he recalled the features of his beloved wife her unfeigned piety and the noble generosity of her disposition would have justified the affection of the most doting father his anxiety on her behalf did not however seem to extend itself in that quarter where according to the general opinion it is most efficiently displayed in labouring namely to establish her in life either by a large dowry or a wealthy marriage by an old settlement almost all the landed estates of the baron went after his death to a distant relation and it was supposed that miss bradwardine would remain but slenderly provided for as the good gentleman's cash matters had been too long under the exclusive charge of bailey mcweeble to admit of any great expectations from his personal succession it is true the said bailey loved his patron and his patron's daughter next though at an incomparable distance to himself he thought it was possible to set aside the settlement on the male line and had actually procured an opinion to that effect and as he boasted without a fee from an eminent scottish council under whose notice he contrived to bring the point while consulting him regularly on some other business but the baron would not listen to such a proposal for an instant on the contrary he used to have a perverse pleasure in boasting that the barony of bradwardine was a male fief the first charter having been given at that early period when women were not deemed capable to hold a feudal grant because according to les costumes de normande salem que subast que or as is yet more ungallantly expressed by other authorities all of whose barbarous names he delighted to quote at full length because a woman could not serve the superior or feudal lord in war on account of the decorum of her sex nor assist him with advice because of her limited intellect nor keep his counsel owing to the infirmity of her disposition he would triumphantly ask how it would become a female and that female a bradwardine to be seen employed in servitio actuendi sui detraendi caligus regis post battalium that is in pulling off the king's boots after an engagement which was the feudal service by which he held the barony of bradwardine no he said beyond hesitation procul dubio many females as worthy as rose had been excluded in order to make way for my own succession and heaven forbid that i should do aught that might contravene the destination of my forefathers or impinge upon the right of my kinsman malcolm bradwardine of inchgrabbit an honourable though decayed branch of my own family the bailey as prime minister having received this decisive communication from his sovereign durst not press his own opinion any farther but contented himself with deploring on all suitable occasions to saunderson the minister of the interior the laird's self-willedness and with laying plans for uniting rose with the young laird of bommawapple who had a fine estate only moderately burdened and was a faultless young gentleman being as sober as a saint if you keep brandy from him and him from brandy 
and who in brief had no imperfection but that of keeping light company at a time such as jinker the horse-cooper and gibby gaythroit the piper of coupar awoke follies mr saunderson he'll mend he'll mend pronounced the bailey like sour ale and simmer added davy galately who happened to be nearer the conclave than they were aware of miss bradwardine such as we have described her with all the simplicity and curiosity of a recluse attached herself to the opportunities of increasing her store of literature which edward's visit afforded her he sent for some of his books from his quarters and they opened to her sources of delight of which she had hitherto had no idea the best english poets of every description and other works on belletter made a part of this precious cargo her music even her flowers were neglected and saunders not only mourned over but began to mutiny against the labor for which he now scarce received thanks these new pleasures became gradually enhanced by sharing them with one of a kindred taste edward's readiness to comment to recite to explain difficult passages rendered his assistance invaluable and the wild romance of his spirit delighted a character too young and inexperienced to observe its deficiencies upon subjects which interested him and when quite at ease he possessed that flow of natural and somewhat florid eloquence which has been supposed as powerful even as figure fashion fame or fortune in winning the female heart there was therefore an increasing danger in this constant intercourse to poor rose's peace of mind which was the more imminent as her father was greatly too much abstracted in his studies and wrapped up in his own dignity to dream of his daughters incurring it the daughters of the house of bradwardine were in his opinion like those of the house of bourbon or austria placed high above the clouds of passion which might obfuscate the intellects of meaner females they moved in another sphere were governed by other feelings and amenable to other rules than those of idle and fantastic affection in short he shut his eyes so resolutely to the natural consequences of edward's intimacy with miss bradwardine that the whole neighbourhood concluded that he had opened them to the advantages of a match between his daughter and the wealthy young englishman and pronounced him much less a fool than he had generally shown himself in cases where his own interest was concerned if the baron however had really meditated such an alliance the indifference of waverley would have been an insuperable bar to his project our hero since mixing more freely with the world had learned to think with great shame and confusion upon his mental legend of saint cecilia and the vexation of these reflections was likely for some time at least to counterbalance the natural susceptibility of his disposition besides rose bradwardine beautiful and amiable as we have described her had not precisely the sort of beauty or merit which captivates a romantic imagination in early youth she was too frank too confiding too kind amiable qualities undoubtedly but destructive of the marvellous with which a youth of imagination delights to dress the empress of his affections was it possible to bow to tremble and to adore before the timid yet playful little girl who now asked edward to mend her pen now to construe a stanza in tasso and now how to spell a very very long word in her version of it 
all these incidents have their fascination on the mind at a certain period of life but not when a youth is entering it and rather looking out for some object whose affection may dignify him in his own eyes than stooping to one who looks up to him for such distinction hence though there can be no rule in so capricious a passion early love is frequently ambitious in choosing its object or which comes to the same selects her as in the case of saint cecilia foresaid from a situation that gives fair scope for le beau ideal which the reality of intimate and familiar life rather tends to limit and impair i knew a very accomplished and sensible young man cured of a violent passion for a pretty woman whose talents were not equal to her face and figure by being permitted to bear her company for a whole afternoon thus it is certain that had edward enjoyed such an opportunity of conversing with miss stubbs aunt rachel's precaution would have been unnecessary for he would as soon have fallen in love with the dairymaid and although miss bradwardine was a very different character it seems probable that the very intimacy of their intercourse prevented his feeling for her other sentiments than those of a brother for an amiable and accomplished sister while the sentiments of poor rose were gradually and without her being conscious assuming a shade of warmer affection i ought to have said that edward when he sent to dundee for the books before mentioned had applied for and received permission extending his leave of absence but the letter of his commanding officer contained a friendly recommendation to him not to spend his time exclusively with persons who estimable as they might be in a general sense could not be supposed well affected to a government which they declined to acknowledge by taking the oath of allegiance the letter further insinuated though with great delicacy that although some family connections might be supposed to render it necessary for captain waverley to communicate with gentlemen who were in this unpleasant state of suspicion yet his father's situation and wishes ought to prevent his prolonging those attentions into exclusive intimacy and it was intimated that while his political principles were endangered by communicating with laymen of this description he might also receive erroneous impressions in religion from the prelatic clergy who so perversely labored to set up the royal prerogative in things sacred this last insinuation probably induced waverley to set both down to the prejudices of his commanding officer he was sensible that mr bradwardine had acted with the most scrupulous delicacy in never entering upon any discussion that had the most remote tendency to bias his mind in political opinions although he was himself not only a decided partisan of the exiled family but had been trusted at different times with important commissions for their service sensible therefore that there was no risk of his being perverted from his allegiance edward felt as if he should do his uncle's old friend injustice in removing from a house where he gave and received pleasure and amusement merely to gratify a prejudiced and ill-judged suspicion he therefore wrote a very general answer assuring his commanding officer that his loyalty was not in the most distant danger of contamination and continued an honored guest and inmate of the house of tully violin End of section nineteen. Chapter 14